Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and hello to Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success. And Eric, let's get right to it. Who do you have for today's guest? I have a great interview. Uh, ben Nelson of the Tacoma Years. He's Director of Business Development. We're going to talk all about that club. I know you're part owner of it. And uh, this last year, I was able to go to a few games, had a great time. But I was just so impressed with the family-friendly atmosphere that goes on down there. So I want, to, I want other people to learn about that because it is such great entertainment in the South End. Well, it's good for me, too, because I haven't visited with Ben Nelson that often. What I've seen of him has been outstanding, but I'm sure I'm going to learn some things today as well. So that's great, Eric. I'm glad you uh, followed up on that one. And and how about you, Paul? Who do you have on? Well, I have two guests today, and uh, one is Morris Pearl, and he's the chairman of Patriotic Millionaires, and that's a nonprofit organization out of Washington, D.C., and it's made up of very wealthy people. It was founded in 2010. They're lobbying Congress to change the tax code. Now, many of you out there may be going, oh, great, rolling your eyes, saying, well, just another organization of rich people to try to pay less taxes. Well, that would be wrong. This is the exact opposite. This group is in existence to actually have their taxes increased. They think there's a tremendous disparity in the income of Americans right now, and they think it's dangerous. And I hearken back to President Kennedy's inaugural address in 1961 when he said, if a free society cannot help the many who are poor, it cannot save the few who are rich. And I think after talking to this individual, I find that that's really one of the main drivers. You can want to have some income equality because it's the right thing to do, but there's a pragmatic reason to do it. And that's what I think President Kennedy was driving at. So a very interesting discussion with him. Also, I have in our health and fitness segment, Dr. James Collier. He's a dermatologist, and we're going to talk about skincare, about what you should look for, self-examinations, how often should you see a skin doctor, what type of sunscreen to wear, how bad is the sun for skin, and what's too little sun maybe. So we talked about all that. And just to let you know, I guess I'm doing a lot of personal things here. He is my dermatologist as well, and I've known him for a long time. So anything else, Eric? Do you have any other announcements that uh, off the top of your head before we get into the main part of the show? No, let's get right into the show. Lots to cover today. All right, great. Back with Morris Pearl, chairman of the Patriotic Millionaires, in just a moment. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Morris Pearl has joined us, and he's the chairman of Patriotic Millionaires. And this is a nonpartisan 
nonprofit organization of Americans with a high net worth. And what they are in existence to do is to promote the restructuring of the American tax system. And get this, they want to pay more taxes. They believe our system is unfair. Patriotic Millionaires is a lobby group based in Washington, D.C. and started in 2010. Let's just get right to my interview with Morris Pearl, chairman of Patriotic Millionaires. I want to start out this segment with a quote. A tiny number of people are using their money to increase their political power and using their political power to increase their wealth, and it's killing America. Chairman of Patriotic Millionaires, Morris Pearl, your words. Well, yeah, it's true. We have a few people who are influencing our legislators to change the laws to make them even richer. And then they're getting even more influence with our legislators because they're donating more and more money, although a tiny fraction of the amount of money they're making from the changes in the laws. You know, look at who donated money to Paul Ryan the day after the Tax Cut Act was passed in the end of 2017. It was tens of millions of dollars. And that was donated by people who are going to say, who have saved billions and billions of dollars. So they're getting, you know, tens of thousands percent return on an investment. And yeah, it makes sense from a financial point of view, but not from a democracy point of view. You just said something there I think is uh, says it all when you say their investment. It shouldn't be an investment in politics, but it certainly is, and more so than ever. When you talk to some of our politicians, elected officials, they ask donors for investments. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, they're not even hiding it now. That's what's uh, interesting. Also wanted to ask, there's some statistic I heard years ago, and it stuck with me for probably about 20 years, and that is, and I remember because the background was like a football stadium, and it said like 60,000 people, which would fill a football stadium, an average football stadium, have about uh, 90% of the wealth in this country. Is that anywhere close to being true? That was stunning to me. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, look at things. The majority of people in our country, the majority have zero savings in the stock market or any of these investments that are doing well. And things are vastly unequal. We have a few people, people like Mr. Zuckerberg and Mr. Bezos and Mr. Musk, who have hundreds of billions of dollars. So that really throws the averages off quite a bit. We might have an average of a few hundred thousand dollars per person, but if a few people have hundreds of billions and the majority of people have zero, that's not really a very meaningful average. And yeah, this country is more unequal now than it was when people like John D. Rockefeller were um, you know, the richest people in the world. You know, there was a time, I'm going back to history again to kind of set the stage for what your efforts are all about, but there was a time in history when a CEO, as I recall again, would earn no more than, well, 34 to 1 was the equation, that the CEO would not earn any more than 34 uh, times what the lowest employee made. For example, the CEO would make X amount of dollars, and then they'd measure what a janitor or something like that was making. And that's how they kind of used the rule of thumb to establish a CEO's salary. That is long gone. I mean, there are plenty of companies that have CEOs who make a thousand times what the low-paid people were. And that's 
part of the reason we have so much inequality in our country now. Most people are not feeling like they and the people that run their companies are sort of on the same side, doing things together, living in the same communities, sending their kids to the same schools, playing for the same softball team or whatever. Now, you know, a few decades later, things have changed a lot. And this, the very rich live in different worlds, behind walls, behind gated communities. I mean, our country is looking a lot more like, you know, a banana republic than a Western democracy. And we're, that's what I'm afraid of, is moving in that direction. Now, your history in this organization, Patriotic Millionaires, how did you get involved and why? I've been involved in this, well, a little bit since the beginning, about 10 years ago, over 10 years ago now. You know, I really got involved full time um, in 2014. I was then working for BlackRock, the biggest investment managing company in the world. My clients were like government agencies. We were figuring out how much the bailout was costing the taxpayers. We were trying to um, do similar projects for other countries like the United Kingdom and Greece. And one day I was in a due diligence meeting in the top floor penthouse dining room at the headquarters of um, one of the big banks in Greece. And I walked over to the window so people wouldn't see I was taking two desserts from the buffet table. And I thought I was watching a parade for a minute. And I suddenly realized it wasn't a parade. I was watching a riot moving down the street towards where Parliament was meeting. Finished my chocolate pudding and I turned around. I walked back to the couple dozen bankers we were having lunch with. And I kind of thought to myself, am I really doing any good for the rest of the people of Greece or anyone else except for these couple of dozen bankers whose jobs were hopefully saving by getting their bank bailed out by the IMF and the ECB? And a couple of months later, I've just decided I've done as much as I could for the shareholders of BlackRock, and I've been doing sort of advocacy and policy work full time, trying not just to do something myself, but to change the policies of our government so that the next generation, my children and hopefully grandchildren, you know, will grow up with the kind of opportunities that I grew up with to build businesses and invest in things and do things and, you know, have a good life for everyone. Do you think you're making progress? Oh, yeah, we really are. I mean, look at how things were, say, from five years ago until now. You know, in 2016, these were off-the-wall crazy ideas that few people were talking about. Now, the President of the United States, the Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, are talking about the need to change the tax code to make rich people pay at least the same tax rates as people who work for a living. And I look at your website, I see not only you're involved in trying to shine a light on these efforts of inequality, but you also are very active in states to try to increase minimum wage. Yes. We've been working on promoting higher wages for people. And it makes sense. Businesses do better in place with high wages. When you're starting a new business, Think about it. Do you want to go to a low-wage place or a high-wage place? Most people prefer starting a business in a place where people are making enough money to shop at their business. You know, if you own a bar, you care a lot more about how much beer money all the people sitting around the bar have in their pockets on Friday nights than about the wages of the one guy who's standing behind the bar pouring the beer. And 
that is a lot better for you than to go to a low-wage place where no one can afford to buy beer anyway. It is not that hard to really think it through and figure out what you're saying is correct. I mean, you want a healthy, vibrant community to support the businesses. Henry Ford understood that to be successful, he had factory workers had to make enough money so they could buy cars eventually. Yeah, I remember reading that. Yes, he had that. Hey, who's going to buy the cars? Oh, my workers. Kind of like Walmart. When you look at um, some of the minimum wages there, they can't afford to almost buy their own goods. I remember there was a story years ago that they had an effort going to give their employees free turkeys at Thanksgiving. And it's like, well, you should be paying enough money where they could buy a turkey. Yeah, exactly. Because the wages in aggregate over the whole country, wages are equal to the total sales that stores make. You know, because everyone makes money and spends money in, in an average, average sense. And, yeah, people have to realize that, you know, for one business person, raising the wages is an expense. But for the, if you look at having all businesses raise wages, that's income to the businesses. Even the people who are complaining, who are saying they'd be driven out of business when the minimum wage was raised in Seattle a couple of years ago, Those very people are actually leasing bigger spaces for their restaurants because more people are eating out now because they make more money and they can afford to eat out more. Well, you mentioned Seattle. That's my hometown. That's where I live. And um, when that happened, I was very proud of our city being the first out of the chute to put the minimum wage at $15 an hour. And they're talking about doing even greater uh, increases going forward. Yes, you have gross inequality between the very high-paid people who can afford to buy big houses and spend money on condos and whatnot, and a lot of workers who are doing okay, but not well enough to compete. So you're seeing a more disparity. But overall, higher wages are better than lower wages. I think most people would agree with that. How about some of the names of the people involved like you in this effort? Well, we have a lot of people. We have hundreds of members of our group. Um, Nick Hanauer from your part of the country famously wrote the piece about uh, pitchforks, saying that the rich people had to change course because of um, society was just falling apart, basically. You know, if you look at our website, patrioticmillionaires.org, you can see lists of you know many of our people who have chosen to list their names on the website. And you'll see a lot of them are retired business people, our investors, our current business owners, our um, you know retired people who are engineers at Google, and a lot of people who just understand that the way our country is going is going to lead in the wrong direction. I wanted to ask another question uh, before we go, and that is about what I consider, and I've read about the myth of the wealthy people, the billionaires, now trillionaires, being job creators, they need more of that money when the evidence shows otherwise. Oh, that's a ridiculous argument. I invest money. I own hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock in Apple and Amazon and other companies like that. None of my investing in that stock created employment for anybody. Not anybody. What creates employment for Apple is those hundreds of people lined up around the block when a new iPhone comes out because they want to buy the new iPhones. Those are the job creators. 
not the people trading stock in the stock market. Yeah, that harkens back to the Eisenhower years. And when um, the tax rate, I believe in terms of dollars, was like, was like $250,000, you had a certain tax rate. I don't know what that was, but it was fairly low. But then if you made anything over 250000 it was taxed at 90%. So if people are looking now like a, this is repressive, go back to the 1950s, again, under Republican uh, President Eisenhower. When the country was building things, creating an interstate highway system, building VA hospitals for everyone. We were doing very well when the richest among us were paying high taxes, not on all of their income, but on the marginal income above those high limits. Yes, we can have a perfectly good country where rich people pay higher tax rates on the second million. Not the first million, but the second million. My thanks to Morris Pearl, the chairman of Patriotic Millionaires, if you'd like to find out more information about this organization, all you need to do is visit patrioticmillionaires.org. That's patrioticmillionaires.org. It's really great to reach out sometimes and dive into an organization that it doesn't exist just to serve their own needs, per se, and to further their own lifestyle with lobbyists, and to see an organization that does the exact opposite, sees a situation that is self-serving to themselves and tries to change an unjust and unfair system. There are two minutes to go in the big game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are down by a touchdown. With the game on the line, who would you rather see to come in to play quarterback? A rookie quarterback who'd never played in a big game? Or a six-time winner of the big game? If a six-time winner was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And welcome to this edition of Spotlight on Success. I'm Eric Crema. In the studio with me via the phone lines, I have Ben Nelson. Ben is with the Tacoma Rainiers, and he is their business development manager. And we're going to talk all about uh, what he does for the Rainiers and uh, what the club's all about and why, if you're looking for some great entertainment, particularly if you live in the South End, it's an awesome option. Ben, how are you doing? Eric, I'm doing well. It has been a productive morning thus far. How about you? Yeah, yeah, doing pretty good here. Uh, we've got about an 11-minute interview here, so I'm, I was happy that you could spare some time. I know as you're ramping up for the next season, I bet you're busy. Uh, you know, it's funny. We always talk about it. You know, December is a little bit of a slower time there as we lead up towards the holidays. You feel like you've got the world ahead of you to be able to plan everything out to, to get to uh, April there. When we fire up, you flip the calendar year, and then, oh, my gosh, the season's right around the corner. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I thought it was going to be a slower holiday season myself, but uh, for whatever reason, I don't. Maybe there's all this pent-up energy where people are tired of the pandemic, they're tired of the disruptions on business, and maybe, particularly with venues like you deal with, people just want to get back to normal and have some fun. 
I agree. I think we're all yearning for that. How, how did you come to be the business manager there at the Tacoma Rainiers? You know, it's a long story that I'll give you my best shorthand on. Uh, I went to school down at the University of Oregon, specifically in their sports uh, business and sports management program. Um, and from there, I was given an opportunity to come to a Trailblazers career fair through the Sports Business Club and was able to meet a slew of teams from around the Northwest who were all hopefully hiring at that point. And the two gentlemen I met at the time, um, our VP of Ticket Sales and our VP of Business Development, both stood out from a lot of the other teams there. They were clean cut. They were wearing suits. They spoke very professionally. I was able to score an interview uh, and came up here the following week to Tacoma uh, with Aaron Artman, who was then the president and still is our current president with the club, and was hired the next day, started out on the ticket sales side, uh, selling to all different businesses around the South Sound, slowly worked my way up the ladder, and ended up about five years ago taking over the sponsorship department here with the club. That's awesome. Well, you've been wonderful to work with on the things that we have worked on together, and uh, I'm hoping for more in the future. Uh, thanks again, by the way, for the tickets over the last year so that I can learn the experience of what it's like to be down there. Uh, not only was the game fun, but your facility is just top-notch. <laughs> and Eric, i got to joke with you a little bit. It only took us, what, 10, 12 years that you driving past yeah. the stadium every day? I didn't even know how to get poke there. your head in. <laughs> it's one of those things. I've never driven by it, you know, on the side streets, but on 16 all the time and look over and think one of these days. And then I go there in one year, I've gone there three times. And, and uh, this year uh, I'm going to be all about it because we only live about 25 minutes from it. And I've got family really close and uh, it's just sort of an inexpensive, fun thing to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd recommend anyone listening right now that haven't been to a ball game down there. Uh, to check it out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the club itself, uh, maybe give some history about the Tacoma Rainiers and uh, bring us up to speed to 2022. Sure. Well, uh, baseball started here. The first season at Cheney Stadium was back in 1960, and we haven't always been the Rainiers. We've actually gone through seven different team affiliations hmm. uh, up until 1995-96 where we switched over to the Tacoma Rainiers, uh, linking up with the Mariners as their AAA club and feeder team to the big team, um, and have been with them ever since, uh, and certainly intend to keep that relationship going as long as we can. That's awesome. Uh, the facility, too, is just amazing. Uh, you did a renovation, of course, uh, a while back. Talk about that. Yeah, and for reference, I actually joined the club here in 2013, okay. uh, but 2010, 2011, uh, between those years, the stadium was pretty much torn down to studs or the existing concrete seating bowl uh, that we had here. And then we built two levels on top of that uh, with 16 luxury suites, a big 4,000-square-foot club area. And then every single year since, uh, we've actually had some kind of major capital improvement project happen at the park. It's one of the really cool things about working here is that our ownership is so invested in the stadium even though it's a city-owned facility, they're willing to invest or reinvest the capital from each year into some kind of new experience for our fan base. You know, not to put down our professional teams, they're awesome, and it's a, it's a wonderful experience to go see those games in those stadiums and arenas. But one of the things I really liked about uh, going to the Tacoma Rainiers game is just sort of the simplicity of it all. Lots of parking, very well organized. Uh, it wasn't a hassle to get there from the highway. And then once I was there, I was pleasantly surprised at the costs and what you get for 
um, for your buck. It seems to go a long way when you go to a game down there. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely built ourselves um, on value uh, or, or even perceived value, you know, where you have an all-inclusive ticket. Even our group tickets come with a hot dog, a bag of chips, a bottle of water, all for 14 15 bucks on any given night as well. So that's definitely been a pillar of what we've built ourselves on. It is. Yeah, it's a great value. I, I took my father-in-law to one of the games, and his comment was, it just reminds me of the games I used to watch at Wrigley Field way back in, like, the 40s, you know. Um, it's just sort, sort of that different, more, a little more. I don't want to say laid back because it's not really a laid back experience. It's one of these things that you, you go, oh, my gosh, you know, it, it's, it's the last inning already? Yeah, it just, it just kind of flew by. Uh, because you, you and Aaron have, have come up with this concept that there's always something going on, right? Well, that's the idea is again, we try to focus on what's going on outside of those white lines. You know, as a minor league team, we don't get to control the player personnel side so much, um, to the point where we can market a a Felix who's going to come out and, you know, throw a perfect game or something like that. We've got to really focus on that experience of what's happening outside of the white lines. And that's, you know, shout out to Casey Catherwood our MC and creative director here who's down in the field, always keeping the crowd engaged. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's, we, we try to never have a dull moment. Well, you know, the host of this program, Voices of Experience, Paul Casey, a part owner there as well, and uh, he generously offered up uh, some tickets to us, too, to watch a game. And uh, I was amazed at all the different types of experiences you can have at the stadium. It's not just a bleacher experience. It, it can be, but, but you can also walk around and do all kinds of fun stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the way that we have our products set up is we've got a little something for everybody. We've got the cheapest seat in minor league baseball with a $7 grass berm ticket. Um, and the grass berm, when constructing the new stadium, was actually supposed to be um, similar to what we had as Tightwad Hill, or what all the old timers would refer to <laughs> as Tightwad Hill. Uh, I've heard plenty of stories through my years here with the Rainiers. It was actually outside of the gates of the stadium looking down in from right field uh, where they'll tell you that there were couches and chairs and fire pits going and all kinds of crazy stuff uh, as the kids would come out for a hot date night or something and catch a couple of innings of baseball without having to pay for a ticket. So we modeled that grass berm with that in mind. Um, But we've also got the most expensive uh, ticket in minor league baseball, which is like our dugout club, Mm -hmm. which comes with all-inclusive beverage and snack and a full dinner buffet every single night. Um, so we've got a little something for everybody here. It seems to me that this might be at a price point where maybe people can buy a huge block of tickets, do maybe like a family reunion or just you know just a gathering with coworkers or something like that. Um, I, I imagine the best way to kind of learn about that would be to go to your website. Yeah, absolutely. We've got everything on there. Um, and really, we're a little bit vague uh, in, in exactly the inclusions that we put, mm-hmm. um, purely because we want you to talk to one of our sales folks, okay. um, one of our representatives, because everything is, to an extent, customizable out here, whether you're doing a, a high school reunion, family reunion, uh, a corporate company picnic, um, you just want to be able to kick some tickets to your employees for incentive and rewards, you know, whatever you, you have in mind, we can assemble the right thing for you. Can you talk to us a little bit about the last two years and how you rolled with those punches of the pandemic and attendance and and the mask mandates and all that? Um, Maybe just give us some impressions of what it was like to to make it through that uh, time frame as a venue, as a a destination. And then maybe give us a little look at what, what you hope to achieve this the rest of this year and next year. 
Yeah. I mean, there were like all of the entertainment industry and, and frankly, darn near everybody out there. There were some scary times uh, leading up to March of 2020 when the shutdown occurred. We were on an absolute torrid pace uh, to, to really break every record in the books for attendance, um, sales, merchandise, concessions, what have you. Uh, and then the, you know, the pandemic hits and what we really had to do was lean on all of our relationships that we have had over the years with the different folks who have been coming out and the relationships with our fans. We're a little different than some other teams that are out there, or frankly, I think a lot of teams that are out there in the sense that we don't have the best walk-up every single night for our games, but we do have one of the best pre-sold ticket uh, numbers in all of baseball, where we're going to go chase any kind of big constituency of people and make it a real community night where an entire high school baseball system will buy tickets and turn it into a fundraiser and go resell them to mom, dad, aunt, and uncle, um, and everybody else at their school to the point where they're going to end up with 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people here on a given night. Um, same goes for businesses. You know, they're booking big company outings out here or big client events. So we really leaned on the, the relationships with we ha- or that we have with the leaders of those groups and it was, it was a really nice response. They took care of us. They rolled a lot of their dollars that they had invested with us forward uh, to the following season in 2021. We obviously had some issues. Not everybody likes the mask mandates or mm-hmm. you know, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated sections. But all in all, um, our team really chipped in. We had our, our executives out at the front gates greeting people as they came up, answering any questions that we possibly could. And again, trying to smooth out that experience as much as possible and make it as easy as we could for them to enjoy the evening. Um, I don't want to get too long-winded on you. Yeah. I can talk what we're looking at for 2022, but I'll let you dictate the, the flow. <laughs> yeah, actually, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We only have about 30 seconds left in this interview, but we'll have you back. We'll have you back on another edition of Spotlight on Success here on Voices of Experience. Uh, ben, thanks so much uh, for your time. Uh, the bottom line, I guess, is What's the best way for people to learn more? What's the best way for people to get a ticket and experience the Tacoma Rainiers in the Cheney Stadium? Yeah, we just released our promotional calendar. I believe it is online, which means we have all kinds of theme nights. If you're a Husky or a Cougar, you're going to want to come out and check out um, Paint the Park Purple or Coug Night here. And then we've got, you know, probably 30 other nights that are like that. So go to TacomaRainiers.com or we the letter R, Tacoma.com, to learn more about what we're doing, or you can always give a shout to Cheney Stadium. Somebody will answer day or night. Sounds great. Hey, Ben, thanks again for your time, and congratulations uh, at your position there as Director of Business Development for the Tacoma Rainiers. Keep it going. Eric, I appreciate you. We'll catch up with you soon. That sounds great. And we'll talk to the rest of you on the next edition of Spotlight on Success. There are two minutes to go in the big game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are down by a touchdown. With the game on the line, who would you rather see to come in to play quarterback? A rookie quarterback who'd never played in a big game? Or a six-time winner of the big game? If a six-time winner was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience.
My name is Paul Casey. Now, Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. My guest is Dr. James Collier, and he's a board-certified dermatologist who received his training from Northwestern University in Chicago. And he has won many local and national honors for his work in the field of dermatology. And he is my dermatologist. When I started seeing him probably over a decade ago now, I was really reluctant, really nervous about um, anything to do with skin care, melanoma. So I thought in this health and fitness segment, it would be nice to have a conversation about skin care because there are a lot of things that you can do to prevent skin cancer. So this is just about having a conversation with Dr. Collier and hopefully he'll put a lot of our fears at ease, sort of talk us off the ledge. What attracted you to become a dermatologist in the first place? Well, that's kind of an interesting question because I think where it really started was actually when I was an undergrad. So I did a pre-med rotation where I could visit with three different um, physicians. And one of them was a dermatologist. And I remember him telling me one day that I should go into dermatology because I would never meet a dermatologist that ever wanted to do anything else. So that really spoke volumes to me as far as job satisfaction. And I didn't really, you know, realize at that time that that was the case. But I can say after, you know, basically being in practice for 15 years, that's actually true. Another thing that I fell in love with with dermatology is just continuity of care. I mean, I see my patients back like sometimes once a year, sometimes more than that. Sometimes every few years, but it's um, it's really nice to be able to build those kind of relationships of trust. Just kind of see people with their skin and uh, helping them with their skin conditions, and so that's that's been really nice is developing those relationships over time. It, it's always a changing field, and and to that end, my assumption a lot is that the sun is probably the number one culprit for let's say, skin cancers and troubles that are caused that you would have to go see a dermatologist. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's definitely true. So too much uh, exposure to ultraviolet rays, so UV rays, which includes like sunlight or going to tanning beds, which is a really bad idea, um, then those are, that's the, that's the big uh, risk. The risk grows with the more amount of exposure you have. So that's, uh, So it's based on cumulative sun exposure as well. So the, unfortunately, most of us get, you know, about 75% of our sun in our entire life, you know, before we're 25 or 30. And so you can't turn back time on that, but you can certainly make better decisions going forward to decrease your cumulative risk. Yeah, I think like the tanning beds and the exposure, I'm guilty as that myself of, of doing that. But you think, hey, you're young, nothing can happen. Yeah, that's that. And back when a lot of us were growing up, <laughs> yeah, then you know sunscreen wasn't even around, and we were actually told to you know use baby oil and nice have a nice tan. That's true. Gosh, I forgot about the baby oil thing. I was never much into that, but that's uh, something now I do remember. Um, now the other question would be: Can you get too little sun though? Too can you overdo it the other way? Living in the Northwest, 
you know, most of us are really on the lower end of the vitamin D spectrum. And so, you know, taking a vitamin D supplement uh, and specifically vitamin D3 uh, can be really beneficial as far as that's concerned. But because you wear sunscreen doesn't mean you're not going to make vitamin D production. And, you know, I think that people should live their life and do things outdoors. We live in a beautiful place. Just be smart about it. And so some of the, like, the, the things you can do to be smart about it is, you know, not staying out in the sun too long and getting sunburned. So kind of going in and out of the shade is, um, you know, one way to kind of do that. You can wear protective clothing over your arms and legs. You can wear a wide-brimmed hat. You know, I have so many patients that are golfers. And they get skin cancers on their scalp and their neck and it's because they don't protect those areas. You know, using a broad-spectrum sunscreen. So broad-spectrum means it uh, protects against UVA and UVB rays. Um, with uh, So that's with the SPF of uh, over 30 uh, is basically what the American Academy of Dermatology recommends. So over 30 to get that, that's a minimum. Yeah, so over 30. And uh, so... So SPF is some protection factor, and so SPF is actually a measure of just UVB light that a sunscreen can filter out. So SPF 15 blocks about 93% of UVB rays, whereas um, SPF 30 uh, blocks about 97%. So that's the reason why the American Academy of Dermatology recommends um, the 30 or higher. How do you choose uh, what? Sh- how do you choose a sunscreen, or what should be in it? So there's, uh, you know, two main categories of sunscreen. So one is a, a physical or mineral sunscreen um, versus a chemical sunscreen. Uh, so a physical sunscreen, and the ones that most dermatologists recommend are going to be zinc oxide or titanium, because they all sit on your skin and they'll reflect UV radiation. Okay, they're broad spectrum. They have the best broad spectrum coverage of any sunscreens. Most dermatologists uh, question would recommend a mineral or physical sunscreen that has like zinc or titanium in it because it's going to give you better protection anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's probably safer for you as well. Sure. Now, you go so far as to recommend some products or would you be comfortable doing that? Oh, as far as like specific sunscreens? Yes. Oh, yeah. So there's there's some really nice ones on the market now um, that are inexpensive. Uh, there is one called ISDIN, and it's I-S-D-I-N is the name of it, and they carry zinc-based sunscreens. And they're really light and easy to apply. Another one that has actually chemical and physical sunscreens, but mostly physical, is uh, one called Supergoop. And uh, a good kind of daily one that I really like is called Supergoop Mineral Shear. It's really light and easy to use. Uh, what other advancements have there been made in skin care, let's say since you began 15 years ago? There's a few things. So kind of a really hot topic right now is, you know, we've traditionally like skincare has been like, oh, a moisturizer and a face wash. But actually we're now, there's been a lot of development as far as like dealing with like more specific areas of the skin, like crepiness or fine lines and wrinkles building collagen, and those are called peptides or stem cells um, or growth factors, and they stimulate collagen production and also can help with cell regeneration. So it's actually kind of um, um, stimulating the building blocks of um, thickening skin and having healthier skin. So before, we just kind of like, hey, you know, wear a moisturizer or, you know, use, um, you know, acne medication when you when you have, you know, acne. But 
now we're actually getting to the bottom of what stimulates skin, what makes healthy skin, what can we do for long-term, having a long-term healthy skin. And so those, these, um, these peptides are really um, kind of like very popular now and uh, it's very science-driven. As far as also say over the last 20 years, I mean, minor cosmetic procedures also have just been booming. And so there's little things you can do in your 30s and 40s to age really gracefully so that you're not at 65 or 70 being like, oh, I should have done something many years ago. And there's minor procedures. Um, you know, there's lasers that help with resurfacing for fine lines and wrinkles. There's lasers that help with red spots, brown spots. There's fillers, which help um, kind of um, uh, kind of revolumize last collagen in the face. And then the gold standard for kind of the upper face for fine lines and wrinkles would be Botox. So there's lots of all sorts of really nice, safe procedures that are now, you know, um, available where they weren't uh, even 20 years ago. You know, it's interesting you should say, like, again, it would be like earlier the better if you do things like in your 30s and 40s. You won't have to be so evasive if you wait till your 60s or 70s to do it. Oh, that's 100% correct. And unfortunately, there's a little bit of a stigma that has previously been attached with like doing cosmetic procedures at a young age. It's like, hey, you know, you're only 30, you're only 40, why are you doing this? But if you do little things earlier on, then you're just going to age gracefully. You're not going to look different. You're just going to kind of keep the collagen where it needs to be. You need guidance on that. And that's where, you know, seeing um, an expert in skincare and, you know, these skin advancements. I mean, it's it, there's so much information out there. I'm not going to use the word quacks out there, but the people who just are in it for the day and make the money, essentially, and they don't have the background and training. You just have to watch out for that. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing is how often should someone come into a professional like you and get their skin looked at? Let's say you're older even if you don't have issues or if you do have issues. But is there a, like a period of time, once a year, once a six, every six months? So according to the Skin Cancer Foundation, then most people should be, uh, most adults should be, this skin exam should be performed once a year. And especially if you're high risk or over 50 years of age or have a lot of moles, Mm -hmm. um, if you have a history of skin cancer, you might need to be seen more often or a history of, uh, you know, there's also some things that are pre-skin cancerous that sometimes we like to follow up a little bit more often than a year. But... You know, if you've never seen a dermatologist for a skin exam, um, then, you know, having a baseline is never a bad idea. And it's also really good for education because you need to know what you need to look for. You know, is this something concerning or is this something not concerning? And it's really nice to have that kind of uh, that education so um, that going forward um, you can catch skin cancer uh, because early detection is incredibly important, especially for melanoma. Let's go there with melanoma. We hear about that. That's the one that just seems like you'll freeze if someone says you got melanoma. And so what are the myths and what are the realities of melanoma? Well, so melanoma is is basically skin cancer of um, pigment. Um, So it's moles. That's what we're looking for. And we're looking for, you know, dark brown, uh, black, flat, moles and uh, that just look kind of like the ugly duckling um the here's the reason why melanoma is gets when people hear that they get they cringe and that's because if melanoma is diagnosed late then 
your survival rates are very low. With early detection of melanoma, and this is once again why you would see, you want to see a dermatologist once a year, is because um, early detection can make all the difference in the world. Okay, and how about basal? Uh, so yes, yeah, so basal cell skin cancer is the common skin cancer. It's the skin cancer uh, that is derived from chronic sun exposure. So most people are going to get it on their face, on their like so on their nose, on their temples, on their forehead, on their ears. And this is uh, mutations in normal kind of skin cells that just start mutating because of all the uh, UV exposure, which causes mutations. And so this skin cancer is not like melanoma where it wants to spread to other parts of the body. Thank goodness it can if you let it sit long enough, but it does have to be cut out or otherwise it could just continue to grow on the skin. This has been Uh, very helpful and informative. Thank you. Yes, and thanks so much for asking me to come on with you here. And I, I think pretty much it's just if you haven't been to a dermatologist or been established with one, they're the experts in skin, uh, a board-certified dermatologist. And, you know, they can answer all sorts of questions for you, ranging from aesthetics uh, to, um, uh, to medical dermatology. Board-certified is the key. Exactly. Well, there you have it, a conversation with Dr. James Collier, dermatologist. And again, I hope this interview helped ease some of your concerns about skin cancer. And as in everything, early detection is also the key. If you want to just visit their website and follow up on what we talked about today, all you need to do is go to mdinseattle.com. That's mdinseattle.com. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. What a great show, Paul. Uh, just another week of wonderful information. I hope the audience liked it. And if they did, I hope they tell their friends and family about this show uh, because that's a big reason why uh, this show continues to grow is through word of mouth. You know, I was on your website, VoicesOfExperience.com. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And I saw on one of the dropdowns the self-employment quiz questions. And I was interested about this because it seems to me there's about 20 questions here. Talk about the quiz and who should take take it, and then maybe we can focus in on one of those questions. Sure, uh, Eric, that's uh, good that you were able to find that. Yes, I have a 20-question quiz, and what I submit is the higher you score on this quiz, the higher your prospects for success. I've talked to people who have taken it, and uh, they tell me that they score really high on it, and they feel good about it, and some score very low, and they decide that going into business for them is not for them right now, Mm -hmm. and that's good too. 
because that's what I'm trying to do is filter out what you need to do and consider before you go into business for yourself. So there are 20 questions. I understand you wanted to talk about one today. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, delegating. Why is that so important for small business owners? Well, to start it out, we are kind of control freaks in the beginning. You have to understand that about yourself. So because of that, you really have to up your game some Mm -hmm. to give things away. If you don't, the business will swallow you. But you also have to be very careful in what you give away. I submit that when you're going into business for yourself, you should, at minimum, place your salary as about $125 an hour. That means you should be in a position to then determine the repetitive work that you give out. For example, doing inputting, electronic inputting. Well, maybe you can spend $30 an hour to pay that person versus what I think the number one role of a business owner is selling the business. That is non-negotiable. No one can sell your business like you. And that's what you should be out doing at every moment and then finding other people to help you out do the other things. And again, if you start at $125 an hour, then again, you can determine what type of tax you can give away to other people. So I think that's very critical. And I think you need to really focus in on delegating and not being such a control freak in the beginning because it will burn you out. That's a great advice. Uh, I guess it just goes back to time is money and that money should be yours. So uh, you want Excellent. To- <laughs> very, very good point. That's right. We'll be back next week with another one of these tips from the self-employment quiz at voicesofexperience.com. That's voicesofexperience.com. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Eric. Reading is Fundamental, the nation's largest children's literacy organization, invites you to rally our children to read. Visit rallytoread.org and help your child pledge to read 100 books by Read Across America Day in March 2022. Also, watch well-known authors read their favorite books, find activities to keep young readers motivated, and teachers can enter the Rally to Read sweepstakes for a chance to win 100 books for their own school, subject to rules. Inspire your child to read. Visit rallytoread.org today. If you or a loved one has diabetes, you know that keeping up with your health care is important, but can be time-consuming and costly. The good news is, if you are on Medicare, your benefits can help. Here are some tips from the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging and United Healthcare. Know your numbers. Medicare covers blood glucose monitors, test strips, and other supplies, as well as lab tests for A1C checks. Take care of your eyes. Medicare covers medically necessary vision screenings, including screenings for people with diabetes. Get moving. Talk to your doctor about what exercise is right for you. Some Medicare Advantage plans include a gym membership benefit. To learn more about healthy aging, contact your local area agency on aging. To learn more about Medicare, visit MedicareMadeClear.com.